Good morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Go ahead and open with me to Matthew chapter 5. Almost forgot my mask. Sorry about that. It's <laughs> weird. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be continuing our series in the Beatitudes this morning. <clears throat> if I can turn there myself. As I mentioned last week, the Beatitudes are part of Jesus' exposition on what it looks like to be citizens of his kingdom, this new kind of people that Andy was just talking about a moment ago. For all who follow Jesus, we're called to to be a different kind of person, to live a different kind of life. In fact, God calls us a new creation. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, if anyone has trusted him, if anyone has rejected the world and clung to Christ, the old has passed, or he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we decide to follow Jesus, when we trust in him to forgive us our sins, when we turn away from our former lifestyle and begin to follow him, God remakes us into a new creation with a new kind of living. At conversion, God gives us a new heart to love the, thing he, the things he loves, to hate the things he hates. He gives us his Holy Spirit to indwell and empower us for this life. He adopts us, part of his family now. And then the call of the Beatitudes is to now walk in a manner that is worthy of what God has made true of us. The call of the Beatitudes is to say, okay, because I'm following Jesus, because I'm now united to him, I'm now going to walk and live in this new kingdom kind of way. Excuse me, still fighting a little bit of a cold. If I can use a sports analogy, um, you know, they, they teach you in uh, seminary and in other places now that you, you shouldn't use sports analogies anymore because uh, as soon as you start using a sports analogy, you automatically lose most of the people that are listening to you. So if you thought they were on board, you mentioned sports, they're now gone. But I don't think those people preach primarily to a room full of Packers fans. Uh, so I think, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so I think I can actually use a sports analogy, and I think you might be more engaged than you were before especially on a Sunday. Anyway, when a football player leaves one team and goes to another, everything changes for that person, right? Brett Favre leaves Green Bay. Who'd he go to next? Jets. And then he went to Minnesota, right? Okay, so that's where he ended up. See, there was, there was nothing in between Jets and Minnesota. Okay, that's what I'm, I'm making sure of. So when, 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 when Brett Favre got, ended up in Minnesota, did he get to, to wear his old Green Bay jersey? No, why not? Because somebody in this room would have physically harmed him. No, I'm kidding. Uh, he, he no longer wore the Packers jersey. He no longer used the Packers playbook. Right? Like they, they may have drawn some things up, kind of similar to the system that he likes to play in, but he doesn't get to use the Packers playbook anymore. Things are all different. Everything is different now. With his new allegiance comes a, a whole new way of doing things. And the same is true for us whenever we begin to follow Jesus. As soon as we begin to follow him, everything changes. We're no longer who we once were. We no longer get to wear the jersey of the world while we're sporting the jersey of Jesus' righteousness on us. We no longer get to use the world's playbook. Those ways that you used to act, they're done. The things you used to value, you've got to put it away. The way you used to respond to adversity and difficulty, that's got to to be done. You've got a new playbook now, and the Beatitudes are that playbook. 
And I want you to catch, we don't adopt the Beatitudes as our new playbook in order to follow Jesus. As though, well, if I, if I do these things, like if I try to force myself to be poor in spirit, if I try to force myself to mourn, and if I try to force myself to be meek, like we're going to talk about today, then God will be happy with me. No, we do these things because God already loves us. Like we don't do these things in order to be followers of Jesus. We do them because we already are followers of Jesus. And they're both something that we aspire to and strive to embody. And the Beatitudes are also a way that God rewires us to live according to the ways of his kingdom. They're the way by which he makes us a new kind of person. So let's read the Beatitudes together again and uh, let God speak to our hearts. As soon as I'm done letting whatever is going on inside of my face finish up. All right. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who, are, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today we're looking at the third beatitude, Matthew chapter five, verse five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. By way of reminder, that pronouncement over us, that blessed that Jesus is calling those who are meek, is not a description of how the meek are going to feel. Jesus isn't saying, well, boy, when you're meek, you're going to feel mm-hmm, good. You're going to feel blessed by God. You're going to all the time. What he's saying is this is how God views you. This is an objective declaration of what God thinks about the meek. God's favor is on the meek. God smiles on the meek. God delights in the meek. The meek make his heart glad and happy. So this has nothing to do with the way you feel and everything to do with the way God sees you. And this declaration that Jesus makes here, blessed are the meek, flies in the face of what those in the first century would have thought. You've got to remember, Jesus is talking primarily to a Jewish audience, And during this time, the land of Abraham where they lived, the land of his descendants is is, uh, under occupation from who? Rome. The Romans are there, right? This isn't how things are supposed to be. There aren't supposed to be Romans living in the land. This is supposed to be our land. They thought themselves far from blessed. In fact, they thought themselves in exile. Part of of the curse of not living according to God's God's, uh, word, God's law for them, was foreign occupation of the land. So they didn't think themselves blessed. They thought themselves cursed. But Jesus comes along and he says, blessed are those who are, who are meek. Now, how does this make any sense? This is, they were looking for a Messiah who would come in power. They were looking for somebody to get rid of the Romans. How does, how does this make any sense that the, the meek are going to be blessed? Well, Jesus' words also run counter to our modern thinking. For us... At least for me, maybe I'm alone, I don't know. For us, the meek are the losers. The meek don't get very far in life, right? Like to, to, to make something of yourself 
It takes grit. It takes determination. It, makes, it, may, it takes making sure that you get yours. And it's those who are willing to go hard after whatever it is that they want. It's those who are willing to pay any price to get what they want. Well, those are the people who are going to be successful in this life. Jesus comes along with a gentle correction, both for his first audience who thought, well, it is going to be by military might that we're going to take back the land. And for for us today who think that, well, it's by might and by flexing my power and my strength that I get what I want. Jesus says, no, no, you're both wrong. Blessed are the meek. And so to get what he's saying, we need to uh, take just a few minutes and, and ask the question, what is he, what is he getting at? Like, what, is he, what does he mean? And then how do we take this up in our own lives? How do we become meek like he's saying here? We're going to address this verse under three different headings this morning. The first is going to be this, the meaning of meekness in the kingdom life. We need to make sure that we know what Jesus means when he says meek. Because when he says meek, he doesn't always mean the same thing that we mean when we say meek, right? Like his definition is a little bit different. So I want to make sure that our definitions of meek align with Jesus's so that we can kind of get what he's saying here. Second, we're going to look at the model of meekness for the kingdom life. And spoiler alert, guess who is the ultimate display and model for meekness for kingdom citizens? Gee, very good. You guys got that Sunday school answer nailed. Great job. Yeah, so Jesus is going to be the ultimate model of meekness for the kingdom life. And third, we'll close with the manner of meekness in the kingdom life. We're going to see how meekness should play out in our day-to-day lives. Like how do we grow in meekness? How do we uh, display meekness? How do we practice meekness? We're going to look at some of that here in just a bit, uh, how we sort of take this new playbook that God has given us and put it into practice. So let's dive in. Looking first at the meaning of meekness in the kingdom life. The first image that comes to my mind when I think of someone who is meek is is somebody who's a doormat. Right? Like somebody who just lets people run all over them all the time. Someone who never asserts themselves. Someone who is easily taken care of. Someone who doesn't protect those who they care for. Someone who doesn't stand up for the right thing. Someone who's really soft-spoken and spineless. They never really let you know their opinion. What do you want to eat? I don't know. Whatever you want to eat. Like, that's what I think of when I hear the word meek. And I'm like, where's the value in that? Like, why would Jesus say that that is blessed? Like, I I don't value that. As one author notes, meekness rhymes with weakness. And we often view them as similar. This couldn't be further from the truth. All right, here's here's a great definition of the kind of meekness Jesus is talking about. Meekness is strength brought under control through submission. By the way, the the book I pulled this definition from is a book called Momentum, Pursuing God's Blessing Through the Beatitudes. It's a great read. John Fevig recommended it to me last week. I bought the book. I really, really like the book. My only regret is that when I give you the definition of meekness, I can't say it in the Scottish accent of Colin Smith uh, because it would sound a lot more, uh, I don't know, captivating than it would in a southern drawl. But anyway, you get me, so you're welcome. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, check the book out, though. It's it's really, really good. Uh, Meekness though, as we can tell from this, is not weakness, it's strength under control. Meekness is power in submission. The word Jesus uses here for for meek is the Greek word praus, and it's actually used of horses that are broken. Think about it. Prior to being broken, a horse's strength is absolutely uncontrolled, right? Like you you go and you try to get on the horse, what's going to happen? Going to buck you off. You try to put the little, what's the little thing, the little bit, right, bite, 
whatever that is. Yeah, that thing. You try to put it on his head, and what does he do? Fights it. You try to put a saddle on him, what does he do? Fights it. Is this, use good for, is this horse good for anything? No, you can't ride it. You can't enjoy it. You can't use it to do chores. Right? Like, at, at, at best, the thing is unproductive, and at worst, it's dangerous. Right? Like, you can get hurt messing around with this horse. But a horse that is broken, whose power has come under control, who is submitted to his master or trainer, is useful for all kinds of things. You can ride him. You can use him to pull a cart. You can plow fields with him. You can ride him, uh, do a race, you know, win races, maybe lose races. I don't know. You can do all sorts of things. Meekness, that is submission to power, does not make the horse's power go away. It simply makes it useful. It brings it from being this unwieldy thing that is thrown and tossed about that has the potential to do great damage, and it brings it and makes it something useful and good and beautiful and enjoyable. And when Jesus commends meekness, he's not suggesting, believer, that you should just do away with all of your strength and all of your power. You should just be doormats, let everybody walk over you, and then, boom, you're going to be meek. He's not saying that you should be cowardly or anything like that. Meekness means that our power, our strength, our demeanor, our attitude, our aspirations, the, the sum total of who we are has come under submission to God. God delights in those whose strength is submitted to him. Never has meekness been more clearly displayed than in the person of Jesus. This brings us to the second heading of the morning, the model of meekness for the kingdom life. Surprise, it's Jesus. Uh, in his incarnation, Jesus is the epitome of meek. He's not weak. He's not cowardly. He's not limp-wristed. He's not timid. He's not afraid to say things that ruffle people's feathers. He's not afraid to do the hard thing when the hard thing needs to be done. He's not powerless. Certainly, I mean, the, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in him. He possesses all power and all authority. But his power and his authority is in total submission to the will of the Father. We see this on the night that he was betrayed. He, <clears throat> sorry, he takes his three closest disciples up into a garden to pray with them. He knows what is coming. Right? Like he knows that he is going to be betrayed by Judas. He knows they are going to come and arrest him. He knows that he is going to endure a fake trial. He knows that he is going to be beaten, spit on, mocked, shamed publicly, and tortured to death on a cross. Not only that, he knows that in that moment when he is on the cross, the, the sin of the world is going to be laid on, on him. It's going to be counted as his. That means all of your sin, the, the sum total of sin, not just for us, but the, the whole world laid on his shoulders in that moment. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out on that sin. He is going to receive the punishment that was owed us from God. This is a terrifying thing. And so through sweat and through tears, he goes and he prays in the garden that night, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Like if there's any other way, let's do that one. God, if you have any other plan, let's do that plan. If there's any way that I don't have to endure the difficulty and the hardship and the, the relational tension and stretching that's about to happen within the Godhead. I don't even know how to make sense of that. If there's a way around it, let's do that thing. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours 
be done. God, if there's any other way, then let's do that, but not my will. Yours be done. At great cost to me, at great pain to me, God, your will alone be done. His power is fully submitted to the will of the Father. And Jesus invites us to learn from his way of life. Matthew 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verse 28. <clears throat> it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, that's actually that word meek, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, are you laboring? Do you feel heavy? Do you feel weighed down either by your sin or for those he's talking to here, the demands of the law? You feel weighed down by the demands of the world? You feel weighed down just by everything that's going on in your life. Come, come to me. If you feel weary, come to, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. Come take my yoke on you. A yoke was a, a, an instrument used in farming where they would attach two animals together so that they could, could pull and share the load. Jesus says, come take my yoke on you. Come pull with me. I'll teach you the way of the kingdom life. Come to me. You're going to have to pull. It's not going to be easy, but, but you can pull with me. You can learn from me for I'm, I'm meek. And I'll teach it to you. It's not going to be easy, but, but I can teach you. I can, I can show you. I can model this with you, and I'm going to be with you. Learn from me. And if you'll do that, you're going to find rest. Sure, you'll find all kinds of difficulty. Sure, you'll find all kinds of work. Sure, the, there is a yoke there, but, but if you come to me, you're going to find rest. You're going to know that in the middle of all the bad stuff going on, in the middle of all the hardship, in the middle of all the work, you can have rest and joy in me. Jesus is the epitome of meekness. And he invites each of us to come and learn from him, to walk this path with him. He calls us to take on his way of life, submitting our full strength, our attitude, our ambitions, our desires, our preferences all in submission to him. Because apart from submission to God, just like a horse that is unbroken, our power is at best unproductive and at worst, at worst destructive and damaging and very, very dangerous. We, we can hurt people with our power. But yoked to the Son of God, being in full submission to him, we can bring glory to him and he takes delight in us. So how does meekness become a way of life for us? Like by definition, you don't just wake up in the morning and say, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to be meek. I'm going to be, be, be meek all day long. People are going to be rude to me and I'm just going to be meek, meek, meek. That's what I'm going to do. It's not how it works. I don't know about you, but I'm not just a little bit bad about being meek. I'm really, really, really bad at being meek. Like this, this week was like a magnifying glass on my life. And I'm, I'm looking at my relationship with my wife and my relationship with my kids, and my relationship with friends and family and others and those people that I just interact with, with on, a, on a daily basis. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really, really bad at being meek. Like my first inclination is to just throw my strength around willy-nilly. I don't even put a lot of thought into like how this impacts other people. Like how does that harm others? How does that... How does that damage others potentially? How is it dangerous? 
my first inclination is to exercise my power, to insist on, on my rights, to make sure that I get whatever I think I'm owed in the moment. And I don't think I'm alone in this. At least, I hope I'm not alone in this. If I'm the only schmuck left working on meekness, then just deal with me for the next few minutes. I guess, I don't know, maybe, you're, maybe you've got it nailed down. Uh, but how do we take on then this meekness? Like if, if this is something that we all need to be working on to put into practice, how do we do it? That's our final point for the morning, the manner of meekness in the kingdom life. Anyone ever heard somebody say, don't pray for patience? Why shouldn't you pray for, for patience? Because God will give it to you. And how does he give it to you? Lots of opportunity to be patient. God, I want to be patient. Oh, you do. I'm going to make you wait. I'm going to make you wait with a, with a good attitude. That's what we tell our kids all the time. Patience is waiting with a good attitude. That's simplified, but it works for a three-year-old. Anyway, I think that that's true, and I think that the same thing is true for meekness. You say, well, God, I, I want to be more meek. Well, you become more meek by exercising meekness. You take on meekness by actively and regularly and intentionally submitting your whole self to God. That is being meek before God, submitting your power, your authority, your strength, your rights, your preferences, your desires, your goals, submitting all of that to God again and again and again, like a horse that is being broken, we let the trainer do his work. We take the bit and the saddle, and we do this over and over and over again as God makes us more meek. So how do we do this then? Well, that book I mentioned just a second ago uh, by Colin Smith, he gives three avenues whereby we actively submit to God and intentionally put on the meekness that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5.5. 5. So uh, here's the three. <clears throat> Number one, we submit to God's word. That we should spend time in God's word is no mystery, right? Like we talk about this a lot at Lakeview. We love the word here at Lakeview. We preach from the word here at Lakeview. We have the word in our gatherings here at Lakeview. We get together just to study the Bible sometimes here at Lakeview Church. Like this is super important to us. But what I'm not saying is that, well, if you just get yourself in front of the word and make sure to read a little bit and then go away, then, then you're good. What I'm saying is that your disposition, your demeanor when you come to this word is one of submission, when you come to this word, you don't get to take your preferences and impose them on the word. You don't get to take your opinions and impose them on the word. You say that in this word, God has spoken. And I submit to that, whatever that means. As far as I can understand it, as far as I can know what's going on here, I submit to what God is saying. We submit ourselves to God's word. Next, we submit ourselves to God's will. There are going to be times in your life when God calls you to do things that you would just rather not do. He's going to move you places that you don't like. And I'm not saying that because it's almost winter in Wisconsin and I'm not from here. Uh, but I, I do love the winter here. He's going to, <laughs> she doesn't believe me. I, I'm, I'm serious, I love the snow. He will call us to love people that are difficult to love. People that call you out in the sermon. Uh, he, will, he, will, <laughs> he, will, he will place you in situations where it's almost impossible for you to do the right thing. He may prompt you to do something that you would just simply rather, rather not do. But through all of this, Jesus is our example. Just as he prayed in the garden, Father, not my will, but yours 
be done. In those moments where the task ahead seems too difficult or too costly or too painful, it's in those moments that we are to be meek, and it's in those moments that we learn meekness. You don't learn patience at, well, maybe you do learn patience at McDonald's. Uh, you don't learn patience with fast food typically, right? Like the whole point is you pull up, you get your food quickly, and you're out the door. Well, you don't learn meekness through easy things. You don't learn meekness by doing the stuff that you already like doing. You, do, you learn meekness, you take meekness on yourself when you endure things, when you have to actually submit yourself when it's something you don't really like that much. Right? Like that's when you have the opportunities to grow in meekness. We submit ourselves to what God has called us to do. And when we do this, we're, we're saying, God, we, we don't like it necessarily or we don't understand it necessarily, but we trust that your plan is better than mine. We trust that you're smarter than we, we are. We trust that your way is better. We trust that even though this may seem difficult or even though I don't want to do this, God, there is greater joy in submitting myself to you than in avoiding this thing. There is greater joy in submitting myself to you than doing this other thing that I'd rather do, but, but you're calling me to this. So, so if I submit, then I'm going to find greater joy here than if I avoided this situation altogether. So in all of this, we go where he, get, where he says go. We do what he says to do. We love those people that he says to love. And as we do this, he will grow meekness within us. Finally, we submit ourselves to God's people. And some of you have been on board with me up to this point, and you're like, whoa, wait a second, I don't like this one. Can we, just, can we just leave it with the first two, like submit yourself to God's word, submit yourself to God's will, let's go home and have a good Sunday lunch. It is almost time to leave after all. We could just stop here, but hang with me for just a moment. Uh, this is probably the most difficult one of all. Like submission to his people, like have you... Have you seen these people? Have you been around these people? Like they're, they're difficult to submit to. Where does this come from? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is explaining to the Ephesian church the implications of the gospel that he had just spent several chapters laying out for them. And he's going to give a couple of evidences here where he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's some evidence of what it's going to look like when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says, Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Evidence number one, addressing number one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Evidence number two, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're going you're gonna to erupt in gratitude towards God. And then finally, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll submit to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Whew. I don't like that one, Paul. That one's not fun for me. There are lots of instances when in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, the last thing we're going to want to do is submit to them. We may feel slighted in some way. Uh... We may feel like the, thing, the way that we would prefer for things to be done has been violated. We may feel as though our opinion hasn't really been taken into account as it should have. We can feel like people aren't grateful for us in our service. We can feel like, well, they just didn't even think about me at all. There, there are a whole host of things that can cause tension in our relationships. And as churchgoers, we are really 
really, really good at holding on to those grievances. Like we are really good at clinging to that. Like there's a whole church planting business created because Christians hold on to their grievances because of their, well, we call it church planting. It's actually church splits. We like to hold on to the ways that we've been offended. We like to hold on to the ways that you've done something to me and so now I'm gonna, you're, you're a villain and now I'm against you. We hold on to these all at the expense of our relationships with one another. Philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer, if you know a better way to say his name, please tell me because I don't know a better way. He says, people are like porcupines on a cold night. We need, yeah, somebody knows where I'm going. We need, we need each other for warmth, for, for getting close. But when we get close, what happens? We, we poke each other. We hurt each other. Sometimes we do this intentionally. Sometimes we do it unintentionally. And too often we prefer to go out and freeze to death rather than coming and getting close and getting poked. As the body of Christ, we need each other to flourish in our walk with Jesus. But we are like porcupines on a, on a cold night. Right? Like we need to get, to get close for our relationship with Jesus to flourish. And it's going to be costly for us. We're going to poke each other. Why are we going to poke each other? Well, because you're prickly people. I am too. You don't believe me? Go ask somebody that you really trust to tell you the truth. They can, they can help you understand. We're all prickly people. We are going to offend each other. We are going to bother each other. We are going to hurt each other. And half the time, we won't even know that we did it. It'll just happen. So somebody walks away grieved over something that we did, and we don't even know that. We aren't even aware something happened. How then can we endure all of the pokes and huddle close if this is necessary for our walk with Jesus? We submit ourselves to one another. We stop counting offenses. We stop keeping score. We stop holding grudges. We start to have open and grace-filled conversations where we say, hey, man, you, you poked me. I don't like it. Can, can you not poke me again? That'd be great. I need to get close to you. And if you poke me, boy, it makes it hard to get close. Can, we, can you stop? We open up the lines of communication and we let go of our obsession with getting our way. See, what happens is we end up wanting to make sure that people get what they deserve. And that's a dangerous business to be in because only God gets to decide that kind of thing, right? Like if, if you got what you deserved, you'd, you'd be in a world of trouble right now. So we, we can't really get into the, playing that game. We have to stop insisting that our preferences are met or that others get what they deserve or they pay for the ways that they've wronged us. We submit to one another. And notice, I love where Paul grounds this. We submit to one another out of reverence for each other. Nope. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you stop and think about it, there are 10,000 reasons not to submit yourself to other people. You can come up, for anybody in this room, you can come up with 10,000 reasons that they're not worthy of you submitting yourself to them. Absolutely, you're right. And they can come up with 10,000 why, why you're not worthy of their submission to you. That's why Paul doesn't ground this in our worthiness to submit to one another or not. He grounds this in our reverence for Jesus. Do you count Jesus as worthy of your reverence? Do you count him as worthy of your submission? Well, if you do, submit to one another. That's what he's saying here. And if, we, if we're not willing 
to submit to one another. If we refuse to submit to one another, then that's saying there might be a deficiency in our reverence for Christ. Like there might be something broken in the way that we value Jesus and the way that we estimate his worth if we say it's not enough for me to, to make me want to submit myself to others. But if we think Jesus is worthy, like we sang just a little while ago, then we can easily submit ourselves to one another. If we deem him worthy of reverence and honor, then boy, submitting to one another becomes a joy. It doesn't become easy, but we can have faith that there's joy in it. And since this, uh, this final point here, submitting to one another, is probably the most difficult of the ones that we've talked about, I want this to be where our, our challenge is for this week. Uh, here's what I want you to do for our challenge. I want you to think about those people that really grind your gears. You know who I'm talking about. Whoever that is, that first person that just came into your mind. Yeah, that, that person, right? Whoever these people are, I want you to, here's your challenge. I want you to list those people who are difficult for you. And I would like for it to be people within our body, within our circles. Don't like write the name of a politician. Like that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Come on, use your head. Um, anyway, list those people who are difficult for you. Write them down on a sheet of paper, preferably on a sheet of paper that they will not find uh, or, or that someone else in your home will not find because that's a bad way to find out you're on someone's list when you find the list. Uh, or you could just passive aggressively like write down a list with someone's name and stick it in the seat in front of where they normally sit so they'll find it next week. That'd be pretty funny. Anyway, list the people out who are difficult for you. And I want you to identify specifically your grievances with them. This is how so-and-so hurt me. This is what so-and-so did to make me feel slighted. And I want you to concentrate on that piece of how did it make you feel? Like when they talked to you that way, how did it make you feel? When they didn't take your opinion into account like you thought they should, how did it make you feel? What happened when they hurt you in whatever way you're talking about? Then I want you to take these grievances along with how they made you feel to God in prayer. I want you to say, God... You know what this person did. You know that this is where my beef comes from with them. You know that this is how it impacted me. And give those things to the Lord. Give them away to him. And then I want you to pray for those who've offended you, not just pray about those who offended you. You know, God, this person's annoying. God, will you give this person more of your spirit? Will you bless this person? Right? Like pay, pray for God to be active in their life. And as you do this, I, I want you to watch as those grievances that you were holding on to that you were really like pets, you just loved them, loved to have them, carry them around with you wherever you go. Watch as they shrink. And watch as these people who really get on your nerves become less like villains and opponents and become more like people to be loved. They become more like brothers and, and sisters. And then if you're so bold... Go and reconcile that relationship. Now, I wouldn't recommend going and saying, hey, look, uh, I wrote this list of jerks down, and uh, you're on it. So, yeah, we need to talk. Uh, but I, I, there is room, and, and only you know the, the, the intricacies of whatever situation or relationship that you're going to be doing this with. But, but go to that person and reconcile, if you can. I understand there, there are times when you can't make reconciliation. But if you can, reconcile that relationship. And as we do this, as we submit ourselves to God and his word, as we submit ourselves to God's will, as we submit ourselves to one another 
and do the hard work of keeping our relationships healthy so that we can get close, I think the Holy Spirit will use all of this to make us more meek. And I think that it's from becoming more meek like Jesus is talking about here, when our submission or when our power and our strength is in submission to God, then I think we're going to enjoy his blessing. That is his favor and his smile over us. And as we do that, we can look forward to the day when, uh, like Jesus promises in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, for they shall inherit the earth. If we are meek, we can look forward to a future that is not necessarily marked by difficulty in submission, but a future that is marked by reigning with Christ forever. Let's pray. Lord, you have been gracious to us and kind. Would you help us to extend that same kind of grace, that same kind of kindness, that same kind of patience that you have given to us, to those around us? Father, our power is nothing compared to you, but there is much in us that wants to wield it at every opportunity we get. We want to we fight for what we think is rightfully ours. We want to throw our weight around. Lord, would you help us to come into submission to you? Would you make us to be meek? as we submit ourselves to your word, as we submit ourselves to your will, as we submit ourselves to one another. May we become a new kind of people, a kingdom people who enjoy your blessing and who look forward to your promise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. That is going to conclude our service today. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. I want to send you out with this blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Have a great week.